Hi, I'm Mara Webster with In Creative Company, and I'm so thrilled today to be talking about HBO Max's Minx. We are joined today by Ellen Rappaport, who is the creator and showrunner of the series, along with Ophelia Lovabond, who plays Joyce, and Jake Johnson, who plays Doug. And Ellen, I wanted to start by talking about the, the genesis and a lot of the research that you did in creating the show, because I know that you did a full kind of deep dive into a lot of 70s magazines, but not just the mainstream national ones, a lot of that magazine subculture of magazines that weren't necessarily national, but we're doing a lot of what we're seeing in the series. And I was really interested in how that research element informed the way that you wrote characters like Joyce and Doug and a lot of the other characters off the back of it. Um, I think, well, I mean, I tried to research all the erotic magazines that were around at that time, primarily for women. Um, I do think that the main ones were national magazines. It was mostly Viva and Playgirl and a few others. Um, the fringe ones, you know, that wasn't really something I got into, but I, I researched those. I researched Ms. actually, which had a lot of the, the content that was, you know, similar to, I think, what would have been going on in Joyce's head. Um, and I think it was just really helpful in terms of kind of figuring out the zeitgeist, the zeitgeist of the era and, you know, what people were talking about, what people were thinking about, um, just kind of like the world that these two were living in, if that makes sense. It does. And, you know, Ophelia, one of the interesting things in, in watching Joyce's journey throughout the series that, is that she kind of ends up straddling this space in the middle where she's kind of no longer being accepted by the feminist movement and a lot of feminist groups. And yet she's not kind of fully over in the pornography world. And she's in this very unique space in the middle, um, which kind of creates a little bit of loneliness and vulnerability in different ways. And I was really interested in, in how you viewed your character and, and the impact that that has on her kind of being rejected by this group that she's really trying to support and champion so strongly. I think she finds it um, surprising. I think she's really thought that she was going to be kind of lauded as this kind of feminist oracle and she's bringing something that they all want to hear. And then in one of the episodes when she goes to the campus and finds that she feels like she's failing them and they they hate her, that, that she's being too one-dimensional as they see it. She just wasn't anticipating that. And then, and then obviously, yes, she's not completely surrendered herself to kind of the world of pornography either. So I think she, it, she feels quite isolated and starts to re-examine how she looks at things. For example, that the way that those, the feminists in that campus are being quite antag kind of antagonistic towards her. She realizes that maybe that's how she's sometimes spoken to people and it's not the best way to have people listen and actually have a, you know, it's not conducive to a conversation. Um, so I think she sort of starts to learn how to be a better feminist by seeing around her, being exposed to people that maybe don't express themselves as kindly as they could and being exposed to people who are more open with their sexuality, realising that she can become a better representative of this cause than she thought she was. Yeah, absolutely. And and Jake, with your character, you know, I love that he doesn't fall into any of the tropes of kind of what you would expect from a guy who's running a business publishing all, all sorts of pornography magazines. And, and it feels like there's a lot of carefulness, both in the writing and in your performance, just even the details where, you know, there's there's models walking around the space and, and you're kind of never turning your head to look at them. And so what were the ways in which you really wanted to make sure that that was always the case through your performance and that it never kind of fell into any of those stereotypical tropes? Well, I think Doug fell into doing uh, smut. 
I don't think he's like a, I don't think he's a pervert who set out as like a little boy to take photos of naked people. I think his, his main goal was just to find a way to make money. And it just happens to be smut is what the thing is. Um, so for him, I think it's just moving units. And I think it's why he's very comfortable doing male nudity and why later, you know, he's not weirded out looking at a bunch of dicks and, or, you know, Billy Brunson, because this is just selling magazines. So I think when he sees naked people walking by, he's just thinking about how will this look for the magazine as opposed to thinking about how does this make him feel? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And, and off the back of that as well, Ellen, I was interested in, in how you really wanted to shape his character in that way to everything that Jake was just saying, where that's really his motivation is about the business and not necessarily the industry that he's in. Yeah, we always talked about Doug as a businessman who could have made anything else, who could have been, you know, running restaurants or had 50 gas stations and, you know, really just happened to fall into this business. And so that's kind of why we made the nudity um, kind of casual. Like, I think that there actually is nothing sexy about the nudity in the show. It's just part of the landscape of it. And I think that really reflects Doug's personality. It's like, you know, he, he really just sees money where someone else might see breasts. Yeah. And for both of you, Ellen and Ophelia, in terms of of the character of Joyce, I love the fact that, you know, some of her strongest attributes are also the things that hold her back a little bit at times. You know, she's got incredible determination and she's really able to push things through and see things through. She's been working on realizing this magazine for years. And at the same time, it's that kind of field vision that she's able to have that also it sometimes limits her where she struggles to collaborate with other people at the beginning and has to kind of learn to let her guards down a little bit. And so for both of you was interested in how you saw certain attributes in her as a character, which are really huge strengths, but also that sometimes cause some of the conflict in the show as well. And you go. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think in, in Ellen's brain. Sure. I mean, I I think that is true for humans generally, is that your best attribute is also your worst. I think it's like when you start dating somebody, you know, the first thing that you love about them, that little quirk, you just know you're going to, it's going to be the first thing that makes you crazy about them in a year. It's like, I love the way they're so messy when they eat their pizza a year later, you're like, you want to stab them for like a little dribble of mozzarella from their mouth. So I think that's just a very human thing where our passion for something, you know, might get us, get us far in a certain sense, but also holds us back. So I think that Joyce is um, a contradiction in many ways. And I think that passion, you know, and the spirit and the determination and the intelligence has gotten her far, but the flip side of it is, you know, she's obstinate and can be judgmental and have blinders on and is not good with the other humans, at least in the beginning of the show. That that was what was so appealing, though, but about playing Joyce, there was was that contradiction that she's she 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 kind of can be her own worst obstacle, and she's not quite aware of that until she's thrown into a scenario that she's never been challenged. You know, she's never had that kind of challenge before. She's never had people interrogate her intentions or her way of going about things because she's she's kind of been in a bit of an echo chamber. So mm-hmm. you see her having to confront things that she was simply unaware of. She was unaware of her own bias. So it's, um, it's, that was what was fun about playing, like seeing her realize that she has been 
her own obstacle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Jake, you know, with, with Doug initially, it feels like he very much just sees Joyce as a business opportunity and, you know, in the way that she challenges him, that he kind of enjoys that, but also necessarily hasn't necessarily been challenged that way by a lot of the people that work with him. And so through that, she kind of starts to break down some of his walls and there is a real friendship and care that starts to develop. And what were kind of the moments when you were looking at the scripts where you felt like it was becoming more of a friendship and less of just a purely business transaction for him? Well, I think Doug likes Joyce from the beginning. I think he sees in her that she's really smart and that there's a lot of money to her ideas. I think he just sees her as young. So it's it almost feels like old generation, new generation, that she's coming up with ideas. And some of these ideas are great, but they just don't feel very practical to him. But I also think he sees in her the golden ring that he's he doesn't have without her. So I think the friendship forms in that he likes the way her brain works, even though she sometimes drives him up a wall. And, you know, with that idea that he knows that certain things that he proposes to her are going to drive her up the wall, there, there's a lot of fun in watching that kind of like glint you bring in your eye when he kind of knows before he even says anything out loud, like, she's not going to like this and I'm, you know, she's going to challenge me on this. And so for the two of you was interested in the dynamic of those scenes where they kind of are really sparring with one another. And especially the moment, even before the dialogue starts where you're kind of already playing into the conflict that's about to come. Yeah. I mean, there's some really, there's fun bits, you know, when Doug just yells, Prager, and you just know, and she's coming, she's like, what? And kind of being insouciant and kind of playing up that insouciance because she, it's kind of a, it's kind of a power move. Um, and then sometimes taking her point to, to the to the point of, of absurdity because she knows it will irritate him. But that was just really fun play. There's there some scenes in the, that, remember that scene in the car on the way to the mob, the mob house. I was gonna say the same thing, I feel like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. see, look at that. <laughs> and she just, she knows she's being pedantic, but she is, she feels that she's right. She doesn't need to make the point that she's making, but she makes it because she finds it funny that he gets so irritated. I, I was going to say the same thing. It was those scenes in the car really uh, locked in that they are opposites. And when they are a little bit vulnerable with each other, the other one knows that they're loosening up. So mm-hmm. I think it's always fun to do, even the way we dress and the way we'll sit as the characters in the car, like, you know, there's just everything about them is different. And the other characters like Atina can kind of work with both. Bambi can kind of work with both. Richie can kind of find a way to both of them. But I do feel like Joyce and Doug are on opposite extremes. And I do think unfortunately for both of them, they need each other. Mm. And I think Joyce might think she might not need Doug as much as Doug thinks he needs Joyce. But I got bad news for you, Ophelia. (laughs) (laughs) I got bad news for you, Amy. <laughs> no, but I, I think that they both inherently know that the other one's got something that could help them. But everything about the way they do life feels foreign. Mm-hmm. And I mean, off the back of that, Ellen, it feels like their best successes, both individually and together, are when they find that space in the middle. But it also gives a lot of richness throughout the show to be able to play with this kind of swinging pendulum where things are going a little bit more Doug's way, you know, things are going mm-hmm. a little bit more Joyce's way till you find that real sweet spot in the middle. And obviously, you don't want every moment to be a full success. And so when you're writing the scripts and figuring out a lot of the arcs, how are you determining where the kind of like the conflict makes the most sense and where that kind of co- 
cohesiveness and vulnerability and success with the two of them really makes more sense to pull into an arc. Yeah, I mean, I think the plot of the show really arises from the reality of what, you know, we as the writers thought would happen in the situation. And I think that, I think the magazine itself kind of has a natural arc that determines what happens with the two of them. And I, I think, you know, for both of them, there's like a bit of a loosening up and a bit of a role reversal. And I think the first instance of that really is in the mob episode where you see that, you know, Doug, who has been telling Joyce not to rabble rouse and not to, you know, preach does that himself. And she, you know, does what he would do in the situation, which is, you know, be manipulative. Um, and I think that, yeah, I mean, I, you know, it's, it's an interesting question. I, I think it really just kind of flows naturally out of the progression of their relationship. Mm-hmm. And with their relationship, it was also really refreshing to watch a show like this and to not kind of have it muddied between the two of them of, of a will they, won't they romanticism. Mm-hmm. And there's so much richness that you can actually explore with their relationship by taking that out of the equation and not having it be yeah. part of the mix. Was that something early on that was very important to you because of everything that you can explore in terms of friendship, business relationship, mentorship aspects? Yes, it was. Um, yeah, I think it's just cheesy. I, I, I think it would have been cheesy for us to do a will they, won't they. And frankly, I was really surprised by how many people before we cast it suggested casting people with chemistry or just read something into it that wasn't there. You know, I know Jake and I, um, spoke before he even signed on to do the show about how we felt like there shouldn't be chemistry between them. Um, I think I don't know, maybe we're just programmed as consumers that when people fight about stuff, they're eventually going to have sex. I don't know. It feels like a really weird message that we've been putting forth through, through media that like, if you hate somebody and you are in total disagreement, like eventually you'll end up in bed together, which I want to say it's weird, right? That's like a weird message to give people. Why not just like find somebody who's just like you and make your life happy and, and easy. Like what's wrong with all of us? Well, cheers ruined it for everybody. (laughs) And Jake, you know, I know that you and Ellen had some conversations early on about some of the details and aspects of of the character as well, even beyond your performance that you felt were important and just little things like feeling like, oh, he would have pots and pans around his house. He would cook for himself because he's taking care of himself or details about the type of car he might drive. And so I was interested in what were the details that you saw very early on in the first couple of scripts that you looked at that were really important to be able to bring in that you wanted to have those conversations about with Ellen. Well, I would say Ellen's, you know, and I've said it to her, but she's a, a really clear, great writer. So when I read the pilot, there wasn't much. There was a little words here and there, but there was just things that she had already put in that as we went to series, I just wanted to keep pushing, such as in the pilot, you know, you set Doug up where you first meet him and he's in a diner and he's talking about Richie and all this stuff and these models and he's crude. But then when Joyce goes to his house, he lives on a lovely little street and said he always wanted to live in a place like that as a kid. And now he does. So she had already put in that Doug has the two sides to him. So in terms of what I added as we went with just little details that made Doug feel more familiar to me. Um, But it was really nothing major. It's just kind of like the shades of gray. 
Yeah. And, and Ophelia, when it comes to Joyce's backstory, we get little kind of, we get a few flashback moments later on in the season. Um, but I was curious kind of if you had that information, if you had that detail, or if it was something similar to what Jake was saying, where it's just very clear in the way that Ellen's written those first couple of scripts that, that of course, naturally that was the genesis of her wanting to create this magazine, wanting to go out on her own and, and really pursue it in more of an entrepreneurial manner. It was, again, it was, really I got such a clear concise sense of who Joyce was from the pilot episode it really was I mean Ellen's gonna start blushing but it really it really was an incredible script it was unlike anything else it was so rich in detail and you felt like you you knew you understood so much about them and their motivations and you know there's kind of the small mentions that she kind of she went to Vassar and her kind of correcting people's pronunciation of things. You just, those are small insights that that allow you to understand why she is the way she is. And, you know, she grew up in Pasadena. So there were, there were little details that as an actor, when you're reading it, help inform how you, you're going to play that character. And then as the, as the show went on, Ellen did kind of, yeah, to tell me, tell me on the, gen, the general arc of the character and where she was going to go, but nothing ever came as a surprise. It all felt completely consistent with the the Joyce that first struck me when I read the pilot. And, and Ellen, you said that these two characters kind of felt very, very fully formed very early on to you in the writing mm -hmm. process. Um, but obviously then when, when you cast people, you get to really look at what are their strengths? What are they going to bring to the character? How are they mm -hmm. going to elevate this off the page? Were there kind of any small tweaks or nuances that you really saw in the characters or kind of wrote into later scripts once you had Ophelia and Jake and the rest of the cast in place? I mean, probably. Um... Yeah, I mean, these are just two very talented, very likable actors. I think, you know, one thing, I mean, really, for both of them, there were details. I feel like for Ophelia, I what I didn't necessarily know until I saw the performance was that she likes, she likes Doug, even in the pilot, like, she's, she knows that he's kind of sleazy and the things that he's saying are kind of absurd, but she can't help but like him. And I think you see it in the diner scene even where like she can't help being amused by him. And I think that, you know, I think that that really helped me actually kind of flesh out um, their relationship where it was like, just, I think it's from both of them, like despite themselves, they can't help having a fondness for each other. Um, and Jake just imbued Doug with this like, it just, he just felt like a very lived in character. Um, you know, one thing that we spoke about in, before we shot the pilot is I told him that, you know, he and T Tina was going to be his love interest for the season. And that wasn't in the pilot. And I remember Jake told me like, he would do things in blocking that would make, sell that idea where he was like, I'll just like lightly touch her back. I'll always make sure she has a drink. And it was, amazing to me how just these little things you know you could tell that there was something between them from the very you know the, the the small scene that they had together in the pilot and so you know once we saw that we knew they had great chemistry and that you know we would feel good writing to that 
Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought up that relationship dynamic. And off the back of that, Jake wanted to ask you some of the details about it because it's so great to watch the two of them together as well. Because even when they're going around trying to distribute magazines from boxes, you get that real sense that the two of them have such a rich history together and that maybe that's kind of how they started working together, kind of very much from the ground up, and that they've really been in the trenches with one another even before the business was successful. And so I was interested in how you kind of viewed their their backstory and that history to kind of create those details that Ellen was just mentioning. Yeah, totally. It was, well, first of all, she's a great actress. She's really fun to work with. She's really present. Um, and so it made it really easy working with Adara. But um, when Ellen said from the beginning that there was going to be, that was going to build, there is just, it's a really nice thing to be able to do with another actor where you guys know a secret that the audience doesn't know yet. Mm-hmm. So if you have somebody, if somebody's in your head, you just pay more attention to them than anybody else. And so I think we both just realized before we knew the backstory, before we knew if that was going to happen season one, we knew that they always need to check in with each other and that they almost view each other as the team within the team. And so knowing that going in was always kind of nice for her and I to be able to be doing a scene within a scene, even if it wasn't always written, because we knew that's where Ellen wanted to go with it. Yeah, that's really great to hear. And and kind of jumping into a slightly different sphere, Ophelia, I wanted to talk a little bit about some of your comedic delivery, because I think that the, the comedy of deadpan can be underestimated at times, and yet it's so effective and something that you do so frequently, you know, in tandem with Jake and, and the way that she kind of receives things that she say, he's saying. And there's times where it kind of feels like she's rebuffing certain comedic moments that he's kind of coming forth with, sometimes because maybe it's going over her head or she just just doesn't get it and maybe sometimes even as a tactic because she knows that that will create some conflict and mm-hmm. and the dynamic that that will rebuff back to him and so I was interested in in just kind of how you found that aspect of your comedic performance well I suppose it came from we Ellen and I and Jake and I all spoke about that we wanted this to always be obviously it's um you know it's there's lots of willies around but nevertheless we want to kind of keep it in a real world, you want to kind of get it getting into slapstick territory. So I just feel like Joyce says things. She's not. She's you say it kind of in an understated way. She's she she's being quite literal. And and I think sometimes he he might say something like when he's saying, "Are you one of those people that?" He says something about what her life flashing before her lies before she dies, and she just says, "Well, how can anybody answer that honestly? That doesn't make any sense." She's she's kind of taken quite literally, and it's not. I didn't kind of decide, I think I did a few different versions of it, but whether she's purposefully taking him literally to irritate him or whether she's genuinely kind of academically interrogating the question that he was positing rhetorically, but she's answering it literally. So there was, we kind of, I didn't decide on things like that, but in terms of deadpan delivery, I just suppose it, it, I just think that's funnier that you, that you, you know, don't kind of play the comedy, just say something authentically and it's, will sound more ridiculous if you don't put like a curve on it. Um, I just think that's funnier. <laughs> I mean, Joyce, Joyce thinks she's in a drama. She doesn't think she's in a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> she's in all the president's men. Oh my gosh, great movie. 
Helen, I also wanted to talk a little bit about some of the supporting characters because the supporting characters in the show are, are so richly written. And so it's something where whenever Joyce and Doug make any sort of choice or action, there's a whole ripple effect on the characters around them. Mm -hmm. And so when you're writing each of the scripts, kind of how are you thinking about these two characters at the center who are kind of your A narrative and then the ripple effect and the impact that that's going to have on the supporting characters and the way that you really can play around with them so much because you've given them so much texture yeah I mean I actually I don't know that if that our choices came for the supporting characters came directly from Doug and Joyce it was really like everyone was on the same journey together of making this magazine and it was really had the magazine affects everyone and I think that's what sets everyone's stories in motion for the most part um I think you know I think Joyce primarily does make changes inadvertently, I would say, to the other people. Like she emboldens Bambi, you know, sets her on a feminist journey. Um, but like in terms of the individual episodes, I think that, you know, once you kind of set the story into motion, it kind of tells you what it wants to be. Yeah, absolutely. And in Jake and Ophelia, kind of going back to what we were talking before about a little bit in terms of each of your characters having their best successes when they meet in the middle, I was interested in as you as you kind of trajectoried your characters through the season, how you started to kind of embody certain traits, certain characteristics that they would have kind of picked up or evolved or enhanced from the other one. I think we did. I mean, Jake and I were always, Ellen would kind of come up, sidle up next to us and hear Jake and I kind of in, in heated debate about the fact that Joyce is right and, and Jake could insist that Doug was right. I mean, we were really fighting their corners like we were kind of representing them in court. So I think you, in terms of our the stances of our own characters, those felt that those became re like really embedded and we really kind of made, arguing their points of view. But then obviously they do start to sort of have an effect on each other. And when, Joyce initially is quite nervous and she needs to edit her own magazine. He's like, you're an editor, edit the magazine. And she's like, right, yes, right, that is what I am, right? I am actually doing it. But then it emboldens her and she does become more confident with what she's saying and she does kind of deliver it and with more, a kind of more of a colloquial sort of, uh, you know, uh, she articulates it in a more co colloquial way, which is maybe more appealing. Like when she's on the radio show, she just lets rip. She just, she's had enough of people telling her what she thinks and so she just, does it in a way that isn't very academic but it's so effective and I think that's Doug's influence the way he says what he thinks and he doesn't care about how, how, what other people think when he says it you see that in full force when she's on the radio show and then the fact that it gets her onto the Dick Cavett show she's realizing, realizing God, his, his approach is effective. And, and I think Doug is the opposite I think that what Doug learns from Joyce is that sometimes your actions affect people and like what he does uh, with Billy Brunson and announcing it on the show, um, even though it might've been good for business, <laughs> it was a shitty thing to do in terms of a human you care about and you value. And I think Doug has been the boss for so long and always just run his own operations and whatever he needs to do in order to win and to get the bottom line, the people who work for him support that. And he doesn't have to answer to anybody. And I think in working with Joyce, it's the first time he needs to look in the eyes of somebody as he cuts him in the back. And I think that she's teaching him that uh, his actions do have an effect on people and that he doesn't necessarily want 
to hurt people. He just wants to sell a lot of magazines. So the human side of business, I think, is entering his world. Yeah, I really love that. Well, congratulations on an amazing first season of the show. and, And thank you so much to all three of you for sharing all of this. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. It was fun Thank you. Here. Thank you for having us on.